Tuesday night, uh, the Knicks are in action tomorrow once again, um, and one of the players that's going to be on the court and probably playing a, a pretty prominent role for the Knicks as he's done um, all year pretty much, uh, arguably been their best two-way player, is Damian Dotson. And to talk a little bit about Mr. Dotson and how he's done this year so far, uh, we have here Chris Gaston, um, who has his own basketball company, and he is of importance for us because he is the man who has trained Damian Dotson for, um, I want to say, the last several years. Chris, how are you, man? Oh, I'm blessed, man. I can't complain at all. Um, well, if if you don't want to brag, I got to do a little bit of bragging for you because the two people that when like because i try to keep up to date on trainers and different things like that and the two people that you're most closely associated with um at least that i'm aware of are damian dotson and De'Aaron fox and as far as i'm concerned those are two names you know fox is probably leading the race for most improved player right now and damian dotson right. if he got a little bit maybe a few more minutes he might be up there as well so you're having a pretty good year Oh man, yes, sir. Without a doubt, man. Uh, I say this is a testament to those guys' hard work and their dedication. And, you know, their work that it's, uh, it's all attributed to those guys. Well, I definitely want to get into to the work ethic, but before I actually even even talk about Dot, um, what led you to get into this business in the first place? Uh, training essentially guys who plan to become pro athletes. Uh, well, it started me in the business. I graduated college in 2006, and um, I had a kid by the name of Tommy Mason Griffin. He was like a little brother to me. Okay. From the same neighborhood, and I kind of helped raise him, helped mentor him. And he just so happened to become a McDonald's All-American. Jordan All-American was one of the top players in the Houston area. And um, he went to Oklahoma, and uh, he left school early. He was a one-and-done player that his career didn't pan out. But he was one of the top players in the 2009 class, along with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and Avery Bradley and guys like that. So that was my, kind of my first introduction into the elite-level world of, uh, of of basketball was dealing with Tommy. And I was, he was a guy I was training to help mentor and develop. And he kind of took on a life of his own from there. So it kind of started with Tommy Mason Griffin. That's awesome. 2009. Yeah. It, it, like... To to I think casual fans, I think a lot of people don't realize how small of a world that it is, the the world that you're kinda in now. Is is it like once you get above a certain level then you're kinda you're kinda in there and you get access to those top level prospects? Or like how does that work? Well, I guess you kinda say it's a big world but it's a small world. Um, in this day and age, social media kind of allows you to skip the line. When I first started, there was no social media. It was all word of mouth and referrals. But nowadays, if you can kind of grab a guy and post a picture with him on social media, you're so called in. But once you're in, you have to gain these guys' respect and trust. And they, you know, 
they have to see that you know what you're exactly what you're doing. So, I mean, they're pros. They reach the pinnacle of their craft. So, I mean, you can't fool a guy. You fool these guys to pull a wool over their eyes. So you, I mean, you have to know what you're doing. It's, it's a small community and, uh, as far as the professional NBA side of things. Well, it, it sounds like, uh, based on the results at least, that you, you know more than know uh, what you're doing. So let's talk about Dot um, because, you know, I've kind of been on the, the Damian Dotson train since last year because it just – the thing that that struck me was that every time he got on the floor for the Knicks last year – and I, I had remember seeing a little bit of him in college, but I'll be honest with you, not, not a whole lot. Um, right. it, it just – it looked like he belonged on a pro basketball floor. And I guess the biggest question that I get from from fans is they're wondering like did he what he's showing this year, did he have that all of last season and he just didn't get an opportunity to show it, or was this summer just a huge summer of improvement for him, or was it somewhere in between? Oh, I think it's somewhere in between. Damien's what I call a pro's pro. Uh, he was an underrated guy out of high school, a three-star recruit. He went to Oregon, and um, people don't know if he if he didn't get in trouble, if he didn't get to a little mishap with Oregon, he would have been a first-round or early second-round pick after his freshman or sophomore year of college. So he's not a guy that just came out of nowhere, but um, he transferred to the University of Houston. He was kind of off the radar. But every summer we were working on with pros, whether it was DJ Augustine, Gerald Green, or different guys, Houston area guys. And Damien always belongs, and guys are always tell me like, "Yeah, this guy's a pro. He gets." So what he's doing is not a shock to me. It was just a matter of opportunity. That's that's all it was. It was a matter of opportunity. When he was getting those early early chances against those pros, did he stand out more on the offensive end or the defensive end to you? Uh, both. Because I mean, he was he has prototypical size. He's six five, six six. He's not some frail dude. He has you know great size, great stature. Oh, he's Jack. He I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could really shoot the ball, and he always competed on defensive end. So I always knew he was a pro. It was just a matter of him getting the opportunity and getting the chance to prove it against guys at the highest level. So the thing, like, there's a lot that jumps out to me about about Dot when I watch him, um, and I just kind of want to hit on a couple of those and see if you could shed any any insight into how he's gotten so good at these particular areas. On defense – to me, when I see him, um, I have confidence that it don't matter what the other team is trying to do as far as setting screens, he knows how to navigate those screens so well. Whether And it's it's to me, it's both a quick decision-making process as far as whether to go under or over, and also just he attacks the screen to the point that it really doesn't seem to slow him down. Um, is that something you guys have worked on a lot? Can you shed some light on that? That's just something that matter of will and toughness. I mean, Damien, he wasn't a lottery guy, a guy who handed millions of dollars and said you have a guaranteed spot on the team. So that's something we talked about, that he has to do all the little things to survive in the NBA. He has to be a guy that's going to fight over the top of the screen. He's a guy that's going to switch and guard bigger guys. Um, a guy who's going to be tough and is going to get up in your grill and compete. That's what's going to get him on the floor, and he's – I always had that gritty mentality since you know he was a uh, was a kid. Was this is the way that he's going to make his impact on the defense and the floor, defend and rebound? Then you know the rest will come from there. 
do you think, you know, just to pick up on that point, do you think his falling to the second round of the draft when, as you said yourself, I mean, clearly this guy is a was a first-round talent at one point, do you think that kind of um, adds into that kind of chip he has on his shoulder? Oh, I mean, w- without a doubt. Because, like I said, after all his legal troubles and transferring to the University of Houston, uh, our process going into the whole after the season was just, let's get into Portsmouth Invitational for those top seniors. Let's make sure we get in your net. Make sure you get a good showing. You don't get drafted. Let's make sure you have a good summer league and a good training camp somewhere to get into the G League. I mean, but he surpassed all my expectations. He went to Portsmouth. He won MVP. Went to the summer league. Uh, I mean, then he got back to Chicago. Come on, had a good show in there. You know, had great workouts and got drafted by the Knicks. So he kind of accelerated our plan by by a year or two. I knew he would end up in the NBA. I just didn't know they would be as a, as a draft pick and in his second year receiving starts for the New York Knicks. Well, not only is he receiving starts, but as someone who's watched every Knicks game, I could say, and I said it at the beginning of the podcast, I think it, it would be between him and Noah Vonley, between who was who has been the best two-way player on the team as far as just most consistent night in, night out, um, what they bring to the floor. And one of the things that I see with him and that I love, and I think it, it actually works well with, with some of the lineups that Fizdale could put out there, is he is an elite rebounder for his position. I think I was just looking up before. Amongst guards in the league um, who've played over 10 games, he's 25th in rebounds per 36 minutes, which I actually thought would be even higher. Um, is that, just similar question to before, is that something that you guys have worked on, or is that just his kind of natural ability? Well, I, say, I don't want to take credit for everything. I mean, that's something we all talk, focus on. We, he has to defend the rebound. But I do also have to give credit to Coach Sampson, his college coach at University of Houston. You know, when he was at Oregon, it was kind of a run and gun, shoot threes, get out and play. But Coach Sampson really harped on being able to rebound from his position. And at times, Damian even played the four in college at University of Houston. So that was something that was really instilling him, being able to defend, guard bigger guys, and to really be able to crash the offensive and defensive boards. And that was something that was really instilling him, you know, his last two years of college. And and actually, one of the reasons I think he's going to have a great pro career is I think for you know maybe five ten minutes a game here and there you could put him at the four at the pro level. Do you do you agree with that? Oh yeah, definitely. Today's game of a small ball NBA, he definitely can slide in at the three or four, and you know for spot minutes, you know guard those guys, pick and pop, get down, wrestle with the big guys, and rebound. He can't do it for a whole game, like you're saying, spot minutes. He has the size and competitiveness where you know where he could do that. So earlier this season, it made huge waves that uh, after so he he started the season with two DMP CDs, got his chance, right. and immediately made a huge impact, like instantaneously. Right. Had that long string of really good play, and then was back on the bench again um, with you know David Fisdale has said he wanted to try some different lineup combinations, but. I think it came, you know, a little bit of a, a shock to everybody. How do you know how you know he was handling that internally, for like his own his own personal uh, ability to kind of stay fresh and stay with it? Well, that's one thing we have. I have a hashtag that I started a long time ago. It's all it's, it's no hashtag be a pro. So be a pro now only means you know obviously being an elite talent level, but a pro on and off the court. So. 
I would text him and call him, you know, when he was going through that job, man, stay patient. Your time is coming. Stay patient. Your time is coming. You know, it's the NBA. Remember where we came from. Remember where we started. And so that always kind of kept him level-headed and grounded, knowing that technically I'm not even supposed to be here, man. So for me to have the opportunity, I don't want to get too big-headed and just stay patient. My time is coming. You know, he would get in the gym and work out before and after games, days he didn't play. He would go through a full workout like he played. So he was just always ready. He just kept a level head. I think that's what, you know, kept him ready. I think that's something that, that Knicks fans want to hear. Um, I, I know something that a lot of Knicks fans don't like to hear is his name popping up with other teams showing interest. But, you know, like right. you, you say, he's a pro's pro and, it, you know, it's a business. When you are a player like Dot and you're hearing your name pop up with other teams maybe having a, you know, they want to maybe make an inquiry into your availability or something, is that something that you take as a compliment or do you worry about that type of thing? How, how do you handle that as a pro? Oh, man, you take it as a compliment. I remember something Kenny Smith said a long time ago. You know, he was a guy that was traded a lot in his NBA career. That means somebody wants him. So... If you hear your name pop up in trade rumors, that means somebody's interested, which is always a good thing, you know. <laughs> now you're you're comfortable where you're up the Knicks, but that's a good thing to know that somebody's interested in you, even when you're not playing. People are always watching, so I mean that's your name being implicated in trade rumors, rumors is always a great thing. Well, I hope he doesn't go anywhere uh, this year, next year. I hope he's a Nick for a long time because I I I know I speak for a lot of Knicks fans. I love seeing him play. Um, before I let you go, I have to ask you about, um, again, like I said before, the other, the other name that you're kind of associated with, and that's De'Aaron Fox. So De'Aaron Fox came in, obviously, you know, fifth pick in the draft, um, high profile, uh, coming from Kentucky. Um, there was obviously some knocks on his shooting coming in initially with the draft. And then last season... Well, let me ask you, how did how did De'Aaron feel about his rookie year? Uh, he was a little disappointed in himself. It was an adjustment period. I said, De'Aaron is such an unselfish guy that he was just trying to fit in, make sure the veterans are okay, making sure Zebo gets the ball, making sure George Hill gets his, you know, his touches until he got traded. But I think this summer we kind of focus on, hey, De'Aaron, get back to being you. You're the guy. You know, you've always been a guy in your career. And there was, there's never been a knock on his shooting until he got to touch. Like, De'Aaron's always been a really, really good shooter. I mean, this is a guy that averaged 30 points a game in high school. He had 10 games and a, 10 threes in the game in high school. So we just got back to being confident, you know, fine-tuning a few mechanics. And just get back to being who he is, which is a franchise guy. So it's just a matter of confidence and, you know, Bly Divac saying you got a key to the team. This is your show, you know, so – so that pretty much that. You mentioned the shooting uh, after you know thirty percent on two attempts a game his rookie year. He's up to forty one percent shooting from three this year on three point two attempts a game. Does he All see right. himself long term as one of these guys that going to eventually you know be jacking up seven, eight, nine threes a game, or is he more using the three pointer to keep defenses honest and and stick with his bread and butter, which is kind of attacking the basket? You know, me, I would love for him to get more attempts to be a volume three-point shooter, but then he's such an unselfish guy, and and he's so athletic, he can get in the paint whenever he wants. Three-pointer is just more of a, like you said, thing to keep defenses honest. 
And I think he's getting up about three, three point five attempts or something somewhere in that number per game. So that's just something to keep the defenses honest. But he's never gonna be a high volume step carry, take ten threes a game. You know, he might get up to maybe four or five, six threes a game, but when you have that type of speed and athleticism, you know, of course he told me was, you know, there's you know, you know, gas and I know you want me to shoot the jumper, but I can get in the paint so easy. <laughs> there's no reason for me to to keep jacking threes, which I completely agree. If he can, and getting that pain anytime you want. There's no reason to be out there jacking thirty footers. Yeah, and he's he's getting to the line almost six times a game, which um, you know I'm sure Kings fans like that number. Um, yeah, I mean right. he, if he's not the leader for most improved uh, right now, I don't know who is. Uh, before I let you go, one more question back to the Knicks. Um, I'm sure you've watched them. You know, um, well, let me ask you, how many times have you gotten a chance to watch them this year? Oh, I watched pretty much all the games, and if I miss them. Uh, selfishly, I watch Damian Synergy. and just watch specifically his highlights. Okay. Like I said, I don't really, I don't really follow teams. I just follow players that I specifically work with. Sure. So I pretty much indirectly watch all of the Knicks games, but not. I'm watching all of Damian's uh, possessions via Synergy. So, do you have any any like big picture takeaways on the team this year? You think they're? How do you think they're playing? Think they're playing hard? Think they're playing smart? I mean, what's I your what's your takeaway? Playing hard. It's, it's a long term play. We have a lot of young guys that's trying to figure it out between Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox, and you know the enigma that is Frank. So <laughs> yeah, popular there's popular there's topic of conversation. Yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts, and I think. Knicks fans just got to give those guys time for them to figure it out. You know, you, you mentioned Frank, and he obviously a lot of people talk about him. It, can you just shed some light on just, like, how difficult it is to come into the NBA as a teenager and, and be playing, you know, even part-time point guard and what kind of transition that, that is? Man, guys have no idea how hard that transition is. I had a constant left hand since the and it was a Nike event. You know, we had Fox and Frank and uh, Colin Sexton, Jason Tatum, Kyle Kuzma, Luka Doncic. Even Luka. I was telling guys, man, Luka's not going to be that good. He has a long way to go. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was struggling with Kyle Kuzma and those guys one-on-one. But, I mean, good to give guys time. And the NBA is it's the best of the best of the best. And uh, sometimes you look at Chauncey Billups, Steve Nash, sometimes those guys, it took those guys four or five, six years to develop. Maybe they were in the wrong system, they didn't have the right confidence, but I mean, you got to give guys time. It's, it's, you know, guys want things to be microwave, but you have to give these guys time to develop and well, figure it out. I think that's I think that's some great advice, and I think it's advice that uh, I know from my my own opinion. I think Knicks fans should should take. Um, listen, Chris, I can't thank you enough for for coming on and and spending a couple minutes with us. Um, if you want to go check out Chris's website, he, it's uh, chrisgastonbasketball.com. Um, he has some actually really cool stuff on there. And uh, yeah, I mean, just best of luck going forward with uh, obviously not only with Damian and and with De'Aaron, but um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of more or a lot more NBA names coming down the pipeline uh, over the coming years. Without a doubt, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, thank you uh, out there, everybody uh, listening to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. We'll be back with another one uh, post game tomorrow night. But yeah, thanks so much for joining in, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah.